All right, hey, we are week eight of our Romans series called Remember, and so here's what we would like you to do. I would like you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter four is where we're gonna be. If you haven't been with us, uh, again, it's just kind of a um, walk through verse by verse with the Apostle Paul, book of Romans, and the book of Romans is really less of a book. It's really more of a letter Paul wrote to the church in Rome to explain to them some things about what he preaches, the gospel that he preaches. And in Romans chapter one, he really addresses kind of the unchurched people, if you will, the non-religious people in uh, Jesus' day or in Paul's day. And then he transitions into, uh, in chapters two and three, he really focused in on the religious people and then he gets into four. And uh, so at the end of last week, at the end of chapter three, there was this, there was this but right in the middle of Paul's letter where the transition happens, where he talks about, we are all condemned. And then um, he gets down into verse 17 of chapter two. And he says, uh, there's, there's or of chapter three, he gets down to 21 of chapter three. And he says, but now there is a righteousness of, from God or of God that has been manifested apart from the law. In other words, up until this point, there, Paul has really been hammering home that you and I don't have the ability to keep all the rules of scripture. And then he says, but there's good news. And the good news is, is there, there is a righteousness apart from that law. And then today we're going to look at something which I believe is very important for us all. I mentioned it a little while ago this weekend. We had our marriage conference here at Osceola Baptist Church. And it was the, again, the, the largest attended marriage conference we had. Um, I think if we add many more or practically any more next year, we may have to move it to another location because we've kind of outgrown the social hall. By the way, uh, how many of you that were at the marriage conference enjoyed the food? Can I get a big amen there? Yeah, man, the food was fantastic. You guys missed out. I'm just telling you, all you who didn't come, shame on you. Because uh, it was the food was just fantastic. I don't care where you ate this weekend. It didn't beat what we had because uh, it was really, really great. One of, the, one of the great things about the marriage conference is gathering around and just seeing married couples sit around the table, laugh and have fun with each other, enjoying some time together, sitting under the teaching of God's word, talking, uh, letting God's word invest in us and help us to understand how to live out our marriage roles better. Uh, with one another. Uh, during the weekend, one of the speakers that we were listening to mentioned uh, something that I thought was pretty interesting. He mentioned, uh, first of all, he was from Australia, and he mentioned that when he came to America, there are words in America that don't mean the same thing as they do in Australia. Now, I'm not going to use the illustration that he used but there are words that we use in America that sometimes don't mean the same thing in other parts of America. For instance, one thing that I had to learn when I moved to South Georgia, bless your heart, doesn't mean what we think it means, right? I mean, you know, in up north or maybe in other parts of the United States, if somebody says, bless your heart, that is a gentle and caring response to someone who's hurting. In the South, particularly right here in South Georgia, at least in the South, it may sound gentle, but it really can be translated that you are a moron. And the reason you're hurting is because that's you. Okay. And, and it really, even the whole bless your heart context means you're a moron and you don't even know it. The word carry, C-A-R-R-Y, the word carry has a different meaning in the South. See, in most places in the United States, if you say the word carry or define the word carry, it would mean that you literally put something in your arms or in your hands and you towed it from one location to another. But in the South, it literally means to put someone in a vehicle, right? Like I'm going to carry my mama up to the Dollar General, right? 
How about the word cut? Cut has a different meaning in the, uh, in the South as it does in, in other places in the United States. If, if you look at the meaning of cut, uh, it means to make an opening, incision, or wound with a sharp edge tool or object, to remove something using a sharp object. That's what it means to cut. But in the South here in Georgia, what do we say? I mean, it refers mainly to a light switch. Would you cut on the lights? Would you cut off the lights? Mash is another word that is, has one meaning in most parts of the United States that has different meaning here. And the definition of mash is, is to crush or to grind or to squish, um, something that you do to potatoes, but not here in the South. In the South, mash is something you do to a button. Mash the elevator button. Fixing in most places refers to something that is in need of repair and you are going to fix it. But in the South, it means you're about to do something. I'm fixing to go to the store. Spell in most, pla in most places has one particular meaning. It is, a, it is a collection of letters put together to formulate a word, but not in the South. See, in the South, it can actually have two different meanings. In the South, it can be uh, used to uh, describe lightheadedness or being faint. That Aunt Karen had a spell yesterday at the church service. You know what I'm saying? Or it can mean a period of time. Hey, why don't you come sit down for a spell? See, we have, we have words even in America that don't even mean the same things in other parts of America. As, as a matter of fact, we all know this, right? I mean, don't go to the north and ask for sweet tea because that has a whole different meaning. They bring you iced tea with sugar, which doesn't work. So words have meaning. We all know this. And words matter. Those meanings matter. How we define, how we understand words, they really, really, really do matter. And today the Apostle Paul is going to use a word in our text that can be understood several ways. And that's why this makes it so difficult and it makes it so dangerous. And here's the word. The word is belief. Okay. The word is believe. We're going to put that on the screen for you. Believe. So you can see it. You know what we're talking about. The word is believe. Now here's why it's difficult. I said it's difficult and it's dangerous. It's a difficult and dangerous word to understand. It's difficult because since we were children, we have believed a lot of things that we have since learned not to be true. For instance, it's common for children to believe that there are monsters in the closet or under their bed. It's what inspired the movie that many of you have seen made by Pixar. Monster is what? Ink, right? these big turquoise and green things that hide up under your bed and come out of your closet from other parts of some other world that we don't know about, that when you go to sleep at night, their job is to scare you so that the light bill will stay on, you know? Our beliefs have also changed over the years about approaches to the world we live in. People used to believe that the earth was flat. Did you know that? There are actually some people who still believe that. People used to believe that cigarettes could help with asthma, right? I'm just saying, this was like within the last hundred years. People used to believe that um, if you go, if you've ever been to, um, if you've ever been to Disney World and got it, gotten on the Carousel of Progress, there's actually a section in one of those things that rotates around where you see this, but people used to believe that you could take like this vibrating belt machine and put it around you and it would make fat fall off. I mean, these are things that we used to believe as Americans. People used to believe um, that seatbelts were unnecessary. I mean, if you go back and watch movies from the 70s and 80s, no one ever put on a seatbelt. 
Matter of fact, I remember um, a family member of mine, he didn't even have seatbelts in his car. I don't know how that was possible. I don't know if he cut them out. But when I was a kid, uh, not only did he not have seatbelts, he actually, in some sections of his vehicle, didn't even have a seat. I mean, literally, he had a five-gallon bucket on the passenger side, and I said, man, you, you invented bucket seats. You know what I'm saying? Like, you open the door, and there's just this white bucket, and come on in, sit down. Where's the seatbelt? I don't know. Don't have them. People used to believe that asbestos was a great building material, which we have now since learned that asbestos is a horrible, horrible thing, and if you have it, you should get it torn out of your house. So that's why it's difficult because we have beliefs that over time they change. Beliefs, our world just changes constantly. And here's why it's dangerous. Here's why the word believe can be very dangerous for us. We use that word so interchangeably that it can have several different meanings for us. We use it interchangeably with the word opinion. I believe that this is the best car that's ever been made. That's your opinion. You believe that there's a particular team that's better than all the other teams, which technically right now they are because they have a trophy but it's your opinion. And we all have beliefs about things. I believe that this is the best restaurant. That's your opinion. I believe that this is the best type of food. That's your opinion. And we use it interchangeably with different words. So this is why it becomes so dangerous. We use it interchangeably with the word hope. Like when, when your team is getting ready to play a really difficult, you know, matchup, you go, I believe that my team will win. What you're really saying is I hope my team will win. I don't know, but I believe that they will win. We use it interchangeably with hope. We use it interchangeably with opinion and we use it interchangeably with the word guess. Somebody says, Hey, well, what time is your, your family going to arrive? I believe they'll be here around five o'clock. So the word believe becomes guess. I, my guess is that that's when they're going to arrive. And then we come to church and here's where all this kind of comes together and has this big moment of collision for us. We come to church and we hear in church that all you have to do to have a relationship with God and go to heaven instead of hell when you die is to believe in Jesus. Well, the Bible does say that. I mean, we read in John three sixteen. what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever what? believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean to believe? Because we've already talked about it. Beliefs change. And then even words that we use and that we say are synonymous with the word believe. We, we interchange these things out. So what does it mean to believe? I mean, if only people who believe are going to go to heaven, it's pretty important that I think we understand what the word believe means. So what do you believe? What is the real opinion that matters is the Bible and what does the Bible say about believe? With everything I said previously about believing, how clear is that word? How clear is it to you? How confident are you in the belief that you have? Do you know that the way you believe is the right type of belief that you're gonna have to have in order to have a relationship with God and make it to heaven? Is that the type of belief you have? Is our belief in Jesus good? Is it the right type of belief to satisfy the conditions that God sets forth in his word? What do you believe? Well, in Romans chapter four, verse one, Paul is going to address this. He's going to dissect, if you will, the word believe. How many of you remember science class in middle school or high school? You ever raise your hand if you've ever dissected anything in school. I'm glad to see that you guys still do it. I remember the first time I dissected something, it was a frog. Anybody else? Frogs? That, uh, apparently we're trying to keep control of the frog population because I don't know that anything else ever gets dissected, maybe crawfish. 
And I remember the first time we went into class and the smell of formaldehyde and our biology teacher pulls this frog out and it's all sitting on our desks and there's a scalpel and all this other stuff next to it. And I'm thinking, what are we going to do today? And he says, hey, we're dissecting. It's like, okay, this sounds fun. And we all had like a, a lab partner and my lab partner, well, you would have looked at him and said, bless your heart. He, we were, he, he's, I was cutting at first. Then he said, Hey, let me cut some. I said, okay. So when we cut it open, one of the frogs, our, our frog evidently was a female. There were eggs inside. And so he thought it would be a great idea to just get them on the end of the scalpel and across the room. Today, the Apostle Paul is going to help dissect the word believe for us. And it is important that we lean in. This may be the most important message that we ever listen to or we ever hear. And it's not because of what I'm saying. It's because of what the Apostle Paul is teaching. Because what we believe matters, but we have to have the right understanding of the word believe. Romans chapter four, verse one, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, when... Or what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So if you weren't here last week, you should go back and listen to it. But he's referencing Abraham, and Abraham was the father of the Jewish faith, if you will. And, and he's addressing uh, people in, in this last half who, um, in, in verse 27, he says, well, what is our boasting if the law is excluded? Because Paul, again, was talking about a righteousness apart from the law. And then, well, what, is, what do we have to boast about? So Paul here says, well, what shall, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Does being a bloodline descendant of Abraham really have any significance then? Is it of any value? The nation of Israel are the descendants of this man named Abraham. There was a promise given to Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Out of all of them, a nation is born and the nation of Israel, the Jew, the Jewish people, the Jewish audience that would be reading this letter that Paul is writing, those Jews would be having these questions. And so Paul anticipates the question of, well, what good is it? Did we have anything? Did we gain anything uh, by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? These people are the fruition of the promise made to Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis. See, at the ripe young age of 75 to 85, Abraham has this encounter with God where God is going to, for the second time, remind Abraham of a promise that he's made to him. Anybody in here interested in having children any age 75, 85 range? Anybody? Genesis chapter 15, verse five. And here's what God says to Abraham. It says, and he brought him outside. So Abraham's having all these questions because a promise has already been made probably about five-ish years before that he would have descendants and he hasn't had children yet. And so here we are again and it comes back up and it says, and when he brought him outside, he said, look toward heaven, Abraham. He brings him outside of his tent and the number of stars, look at the number of stars. If you are able to number them, he says, number them all, if you're able to. And then he says to Abraham, he says, so shall your offspring be. And now in Romans 4, Paul, a Jew, a product of the promise, anticipates a question that is going to be promoted by the minds of and solicited to the minds of everyone who's reading this letter who just heard him say that there's no boasting when it comes to the law because the righteous, there's a righteousness that's now apart from the law that has come through Jesus. 
And so these Jews are asking the question, and, and Paul anticipates the question that he knew would come. And so he says, basically, the question, if we could paraphrase it, would be this. Hey, don't we get credit for being a descendant of Abraham? I mean, don't we get credit for, like, Abraham is our forefather. We are, we are of the family. I mean, after all, Abraham's acceptance by God was so certain that when we, you can read in other passages in the New Testament, I think it's in Luke chapter 17 or 14, I forget. Um, There's a mention of heaven and they call it Abraham's bosom. That's how secure Abraham's promise was. So don't don't we get credit? I mean, Paul, are you saying that we're not going to get any credit at all from being a descendant of Abraham? We have continued in following all the traditions passed down since Abraham. We've heard all the stories. We've done all the stuff. We've kept the law. We've kept the sacrificial system. We've gone in and made sacrifices when we need to make sacrifices. We have believed in the same God that our father Abraham believed in. We're good, right? What do you believe? What is your belief based on? Now let's translate that into our context. In our context, it would be saying, hey, don't we get credit for believing in Jesus? It is the same Jesus that my grandmother believed in when she brought me to church as a child. It's the same Jesus that my mother believed in when she brought me to church as a child. It's the same Jesus that's preached in our church. I show up every week and I hear Jesus. I sit in Sunday school classes and I hear Jesus. I come on Wednesday nights and I hear Bible studies, Jesus. I go to marriage conferences and I hear Jesus preached and taught. I believe that. I don't have any problems with believing the reality of Jesus, that there was a man named Jesus who died on a cross that was supposed to be for the forgiveness of sins of mankind. I believe in all those things and I believe that what the Bible teaches is true. But here's the problem. In James chapter 2, verse 19, the half-brother of Jesus, who, by the way, when Jesus was doing ministry, didn't believe that his brother was God. The thing that changed James' mind about his brother being God is the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. I think if somebody says they're going to die and come back to life and they pull it off, you should probably believe everything they say. But here's what James would say in his letter. He says, you believe that God is one. And this is really a... a, This is a precise target of the Jewish heart because in the Shema, which is what Jews really hung on to, they they would say that God is one. And so James is saying, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons what? Even the demons believe. So there's that word again. So if the demons believe in Jesus and we believe in Jesus, we know where the demons are going. Where are we going? And what kind of belief does it take to have the right type of faith, to have a relationship with Jesus, to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit so that we can live a life, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, so that we can be assured of the fact that we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father so that we can go to heaven when we die. And by the way, heaven... And I've said this before, heaven is not the reward. Heaven is not the treasure. Heaven is not the thing that we should pursue. The treasure is Jesus, okay? It's not heaven. Heaven's just kind of the icing on the cake. It's the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae. It is, it is just the big bonus that you get at the, at the end of life. Because if you think that heaven is the reward... 
Do you know what you're going to do in heaven for all eternity if you make it there? You know what we're going to do when we get to heaven if we make it there? We are going to, the Bible says, never cease worshiping Jesus. And so if you don't think Jesus is great here, why are you going to think heaven's so great when you're going to spend eternity worshiping him? Which is why I think on Sunday morning when the worship team is up here pouring their hearts out, I think we ought to get our practice in right here. Not stare at the screen like we're bored out of our minds because you're going to do this for eternity. You probably ought to get some joy out of it while you're here. James said, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Here's something else that's a problem when we think about the word believe. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus is quoted as saying this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, he says, um, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So what does it mean to believe? How are we supposed to know what we're supposed to believe or how we're supposed to believe? And these are troubling verses when it comes to that word. So here is something to consider as we read Paul ask this challenging question. 18 centuries have passed since the promise was made to Abraham and the writing of this letter to the church in Rome by the apostle Paul. And here is... Um, Here's something to consider. Have you ever played the telephone game? You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you sit in a chair and then there's like a long line of people and then your teacher or your youth pastor came by and said, all right, I'm gonna give you a message and I'm gonna whisper it in your ear and then you're gonna pass it to your friend and then they're gonna pass it to their friend and then I'm gonna go to the end of the line and I'm gonna see if the message matches up. And so as we pass down information, what happens? The information changes, right? The information changes. Over here, over here, the truth started. And then over here, some kind of made up other altered version of the truth exists. And it wasn't intentional. It was just kind of information passes down and information changes. Over here, truth. Over there, not so much. Over here, Florida Gators are the greatest team. Over here, the Georgia Bulldogs somehow came out. <laughs> Set it up and hit it out of the park, all right? So it's, it's that thing. 18 centuries have passed. Paul had, or uh, Abraham has a relationship with God. We're going to see more about this in a second. The nation of Israel's birth, instruction is given, instruction is followed, instruction is followed differently, instruction is followed differently, instruction is followed differently, and now the word believe has a whole different meaning. So what do we do with that? What does it mean to believe rightly? That whole thing of the telephone game, I heard this story, this was a long time ago, um, this, this woman, she would cook meatloaf. Anybody in here like meatloaf? Not the, not the singer, the food. She would cut off the ends of the meatloaf. And her husband was like, babe, we've had meatloaf a hundred times. 
And every time we have meatloaf, you cut the ends of the meatloaf off. Why do you cut the ends of the meatloaf off? I don't know. My mom always did it. She said, I'll call my mom and I'll find out why she cut the ends of the meatloaf off. So she calls her mom and said, Mom, when we used to eat meatloaf when I was a kid growing up in your house, you used to cut the ends of the meatloaf off. Why did you cut the ends of the meatloaf off? She had no, I have no idea. My mom used to do it. She said, but I'll call my mom and I'll find out why she cut the ends of the meatloaf off. So she called her mom up. She says, Mom, when, when we were kids, you always cooked meatloaf and the meatloaf, every time you served it, it had the ends cut off. Why'd you cut the ends of the meatloaf off? She said, because the plate that I had was only this big, so I had to cut the ends off so the whole thing would fit. Over time, the question, what do I need to be to have a relationship with God was the same. So from Abraham to Paul's time, the question was the same. What do, we need to, what do I need to be in order to have a relationship with God? The, while the question was the same, the answer changed. The message of the Old Testament was believe. The original message was believe, and we're going to see that. So what do I need to be? I need to be a believer. And then over time, that went from believer to behavior. You had to, to believe in Jesus meant to believe, or to believe in God meant you behaved a certain way. You went to sacrifice, you sacrificed these things. And then you judged people based on whether or not they were able to keep the law and the rules the way you keep the law and the rules. So it went from believer to behavior. And sometimes I wonder in the church, if we're not so caught up in the idea of belief or believe as we are, we translate believe to behave. That if we behave a certain way or if we behave enough, maybe if, maybe if we just behave more than we misbehave, maybe that'll be sufficient if we do well. So if I show up to church a little more than I party on Friday night, then maybe if I can balance those out, or maybe if, if, um, maybe if, if I, if I serve enough, if I serve in the church, more than maybe I give my time to other things or if I can somehow balance that out. Maybe if I behave right, then I get in. Maybe that's the type of belief. Romans 4.2 kind of addresses, begins to address this. 4.2, it says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So Paul is saying that Boasting in our works is only good for boasting before men. And that's what happened for the Jews as time would go by, they would talk about how great they were and how much they sacrificed and how much they served and how much they adhered to the law. And then they would look at other people and go, I'm better than you. I'm going to heaven. You're not because you can't keep it as well as I can. Paul says it's of no value when it comes to having a relationship with God, your works. One day, every one of us will stand before God and none of us will be able to use our spiritual resume as an admission into heaven. I mean, we're not going to stand before God and he's going to go, hey, 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 can you pass to me your Sunday school attendance list? Hey, 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 can you pass to me your church attendance list? Hey, 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 can you pass to me your financials so I can see if you gave enough to the church for it to work out for you? It's not going to matter. Paul would say it this way to the church at Ephesus. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of what? Works so that no one may boast. Then he says it this way in Philippians, and he talks about his own works, him being a Jewish man. He, he's going to write, he's going to talk about his resume. And I want you to notice when we get to the end, what he says about his resume. 
Paul says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he's saying, you think you're good? You think you made uh, all area, all region, all state? He said, I'm all, I'm all time, okay? You think you're all SEC? Man, I'm an all-American. I'm an all-time great. Paul says, uh, here's, so here's my resume. Five, verse five, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, meaning I'm strict, I kept it better than almost anyone. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, and this is so beautiful, but Paul would say this, he says, look, I have a better spiritual resume than any one of you reading this letter. And I wanna tell you what God thinks about my spiritual resume. Whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Savior, for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, the Greek word for rubbish is scubala. Scubala is the stuff you step in when you walk through the yard of people who have dogs that you wish didn't get on the bottom of your shoe because you just can't get it out. It's that stuff that you step in when you step into the car. People go, man, what in the world is that smell? To which God would say, yeah, that's kind of how your righteousness smells before me. It's repulsive. And he says, I count them in as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So my deeds are no good and I count them as no good because my gain is Jesus and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I, might, uh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings or share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain in the resurrection from the dead. If you believe that being a good person or going to church regularly will give you the right relationship with God and give you the right type of belief and that simply believing in God will get you to heaven, Paul would say that you have the wrong definition of the word believe. This is important. This is important. Romans 3, 4, 3, sorry. Romans 4, 3. Last verse. For what does the scripture say? Abraham, what? believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, okay, then we want that kind of belief, right? Don't we want that definition of belief? We wanna be able to exercise the belief in the appropriate way so that it gets us Jesus. Well, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness. Abraham is one of the heroes of the faith mentioned in um, Hebrews 11. If you've never read it, Hebrews 11 is sort of like a hall of fame of faith. There's Old Testament saints. There's some stuff in there that he talks about. Um, and and he, would, he would just talk about how it was always by faith. And it's again, it's a push against what people from the Old Testament believe that you could work your way to heaven. You can, you can do enough works that you can satisfy God. And here's what Hebrews 11, six says. And without, what's the word? It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he what? Rewards those who seek him. So there's three really big words in here. First is faith. The Greek word for faith is uh, 
Pistis, and it's P-I-S-T-I-S, P-I-S-T-I-S. And here's what it means. It refers to that which gives rise to belief, such as faithfulness and reliability of a person. That's the definition. Let me say that again. It refers to that which gives rise to belief, such as the faithfulness and reliability of a person. We've all met people that we would go, man, I don't, they're not reliable. You've, you've had people like that before. Like you just go, man, they're just not reliable. Like I would ask them to do something, but I'm afraid to ask because I just don't know if they'll show up or if they'll be where they're supposed to be or do what they're supposed to do. Then there's other people that we know. It's like, if I ask somebody this question, or if I ask somebody to help me out on this, I know they're going to be there and I know they're going to do what they say they're going to do. And I just got to be honest. I love people like that. We love people that give rise to belief. We love people that we know that they are faithful and they are reliable. And so when he says, and without faith, that word faith, pistis, that's what it means. It's that thing that gives rise to belief. It's a noun. Then there's another word in here. He says that, that Whoever would draw near to God must believe. It's the same root word, but a different Greek word, and it is pistuo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O, P-I-S-T-E-U-O, pistuo. And pistuo is the act, it is a verb. So faith is a noun, pistuo, believe is a verb, and it is the act of believing or trusting something on the basis of its truthfulness and reliability. Pistuo indicates According to the Greek dictionary, it indicates a correct perception of the identity of Christ in this context. It indicates a correct perception of the identity of Christ, which is why Jesus would have to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven because you have the right word, but you don't have the right understanding of who I am and my identity. It is also, Pistuo indicates, a conviction that the testimony about him is true. Like I truly believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And I believe also that the word of God is reliable. It is trustable. And it has the ability when I apply it to my life to change my life and that Jesus has the ability to save. So that's belief, pistuo. And then there's a third word in that verse. It says, in that, it says that we must believe that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Seek. The word seek, the Greek word is exeteo. It is spelled E-K-Z-E-T-E-O. And it is also a verb, as you would guess. It means literally to seek diligently. How many of you have ever lost your keys before? Raise your hand, Nancy. I, I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to say your name out loud. I'm sorry. Just slipped. You've lost your keys before. And what did you do? Did you just go, that's ah, all right. I got another one. What'd you do? You tore your house apart looking for those keys. You probably blamed your spouse that they lost them. Don't make eye contact. And then you found him where you put him, right? You found him exactly where you left him, but you tore your house apart in order to find him. You ever lose anything valuable? Like really, really valuable? And valuable can be a, a, you know, a relative term. 
I remember uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, I went to a middle school softball game and I had and I made a terrible mistake and I, I, I knew going into it, don't do that because this is what happens. But I slid a $20 bill in my back pocket so I could pay my emission. And I said, don't put it in your back pocket because you know what we put in our back pockets today, right? It's in my back pocket now, our phone, or at least I do. And so I was thinking, don't put money in your back pocket because if you put your phone back there and pull your phone out, guess what happens? The money falls out. So I did anyway. Now I made it in, I paid, but then I had change in my pocket. And then the change that was in my pocket, it wasn't a ton of money. It was just like 15 bucks, whatever. But I put it in my back pocket and then I put my phone in. And then we got back in the car and I pulled my phone out and we started to pull off. And I was like, wait a minute, like, where's my money? I lost my money. Now I drove back for $15. I'm just telling you, okay? <laughs> Inflation, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, in, in my head, $15 meal for two, maybe, depending on where you go, a meal for one in most places. But I drove back and I sought it. I walked every step of that place that I had stood. I looked for that $15 and I can only imagine what you and I would do if we lost something very, very valuable. I mean, we, we will, we will pull cushions. We'll throw stuff out of the closet. I mean, we're going to move heaven and earth to find something that is important to us. And Paul would say that, um, or the writer of Hebrews, I believe maybe Paul says, forever who would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek. You know what you're going to do if you don't believe he rewards those who seek? You're not going to seek. If you don't believe that there was a reward there, if I, had, if I had zero belief that that $15 might still be laying on the ground somewhere, I'm not gonna turn back around and go look for it. And you're not either. You're not gonna go search for something that you don't believe is going to reward you in some way. So Paul says, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And Abraham believed God. Do you know that when Abraham was first called in the first call of the Abrahamic covenant, God would say, Abraham, I want you to go to a place that I will show you. It, it wasn't like, Abraham, I'm going to give you the coordinates. You got, your, uh, you got your tablet out, your stone tablet. I'm going to chisel those down for you, the exact GPS coordinates of where you need to end up. And this is what I'm going to show you. No, no, no. He says, I just want you to go. Abraham, pack your stuff up, pack your family up. You know, I'm not going to tell you where you're going. I just need you to just start going and I'll show you on the way. Abraham believed God. He believed that God rewarded those who sought him. And he began the journey without even knowing exactly where he was going, but he believed that God was a rewarder, so he sought him. And it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Counted, Greek word, logizume, spelled L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. And here's what it means. It means something that is literally placed into your account that you didn't work for. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, he sought with his whole heart. He believed that God was a rewarder of those who seek him and he went after God with his whole heart and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you want to 
Another word that didn't make sense a few years ago that now kind of makes sense. Uh, it's a verb, kind of. It's also a noun. You ever had somebody say, hey, Venmo me some money? They're going to pay you. When they Venmo you, there's money put into your account. You've ever, I, I mean, today I see people that are bold enough to go on social media and go, hey, today's my birthday. Here's my Venmo. Bless your heart. It's, do you believe? So the word believe, do you believe that God is worth chasing? Do you believe that God in your pursuit of God, are you willing to believe in him that you your faith leads you to a belief that when you seek God, that he rewards you for seeking. So the word believe is very important for whoever would believe in God would not perish, but have everlasting life, would have eternal life. But maybe if we could change our understanding up just a little bit, it's not what we believe. It's how we believe. It's not what we believe. Yeah, I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe Jesus died on the cross and I believe, I believe intellectually, I can read the writing. I believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's not what we believe, it's how we believe. Are you chasing after him? How much of God did you seek last week? How, much do, how often do we wake up every day and go, God, I'm chasing after you because I believe that you are a rewarder for those who seek you? Or are we waking up every day and chasing after other things? If you're waking up and chasing after other things, and listen, we're all guilty of that at times. I, I'm, I'm not saying that any, that any of us are perfect in that. But let me tell you something that we should feel every day, that God, if I didn't seek you today, when I lay down at night, there should be a guilt feeling in my heart that just says, I didn't spend time with you today. I didn't chase after you today. I didn't, I didn't seek you with my whole heart today because I didn't believe God that you were a rewarder of those who seek you. And so when we talk about this word believe, our belief should lead to action. Don't just be a hearer of the word, James would say. Do what it says. Everyone who hears my words and doesn't do them is like a foolish man. How, how are we doing in the seeking department? And it's so challenging to me because it's like, I know, I know, and I've experienced. We've, many of you have, we've tasted and seen the goodness of God when we've sought him with our whole heart. The problem is we typically tend to wait until life is just absolutely miserable before we decide to go chasing after him. What about if, what if we just woke up every day and said, Jesus, I'm chasing after you because I believe you're a rewarder of those who seek you. And I'm gonna seek you with my whole heart. I'm going to intently seek you. I'm going to intensify my search for you every day. I'm going to chase after you because I believe something. That's the kind of belief that's saving faith. That's the kind of belief that is a saving belief. It's not that you intellectually believe what the words said. It's do you believe enough that your life would match up to what Jesus has taught? And the same is true for me and you. 
So do you believe? Do you believe? Or do you just believe? 